Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Welcome to the lineup, Officer Magazine's roundup of this week's police and law enforcement news. I'm your host, Joe Vince, Assistant Editor for Officer Magazine, and with me today is... Happily retired Lieutenant Frank Borelli. Good morning and welcome to Friday. Morning, Frank. To today's episode, we've got two themes we're going to hit on, so let's get right into it. Our first topic is officers helping, saving lives, preventing disasters. Um, our first story comes out of Fontana, California, and it's a great example of teamwork between a dispatcher and an officer. Um, when the driver of a vintage car suddenly found out she had lost her brake. She called 911 in a panic. Uh, the dispatcher tried to give her ways to stop her vehicle. None of those work. An officer called uh, to the scene, caught up with the, the car, found a creative way to prevent a, a, a deadly crash. Uh, he positioned his cruiser in front of the vehicle. And as the vintage car hit the back of his vehicle, he broke, he hit his brakes and was able to stop the car. Um, the woman's vehicle had minor damage, but the biggest thing is no one was injured and everyone is able to walk away from it and have a story to tell. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting in this case, Joe. You know, we see all these patrol vehicles today with push bumpers on the front end. Um and we're able to, we use them for pushing cars out of roadways or, you know, moving something or, or to cushion ourselves in the event that there is an accident as part of a chase or something else. You don't think about the back end of the cruiser. And, and for the people who take time to look at this story, this 1947, you said vintage. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's vintage. 1947. God, what kind of vehicle is this? Green. It's a Chevy Suburban. It's got to have weighed more than that uh, Ford Explorer patrol vehicle that was used to stop it. But this is really, this is number one, creative thinking. Number two, great usage of a vehicle. And I can't imagine what the officer's thinking as he does it. He's thinking, okay, there's going to be damage to my back end of my cruiser. I'm going to have to explain that to the boss. <laughs> there's going to be damage to this, this vintage Chevy Suburban. I'm going to have to explain that to the boss. I mean, I don't even know how the insurance claim would start to go on this, but uh, kudos to the officer for, for being able to, and the dispatcher for trying to help out, uh, for getting this vehicle stopped before more damage and more harm was done. Right, because, you know, this you you describe the car, and it, it looks like a tank. So mm -hmm. if this woman had tried to stop by driving into another vehicle or into to property, who knows what kind of damage would have been done and again it this is it, it is it shows just how how quickly officers and dispatchers have to come up with solutions on the spot in order to uh prevent tragedies and again um like you said great uh great creative thinking uh by the officer um which leads us actually nicely into our next story um this is out of, and I hope I'm pronouncing this properly, Tool, Utah. Um, police officers were responding to report of a vehicle that had crashed in a reservoir, and bystanders were already there trying to help out. Um, the van had submerged into the water, and a, 
of 12 year old girl was still trapped inside uh the officers who arrived at the scene quickly ditched their gear went into the water they tried to break a window and open doors unsuccessful in both both times um officer got out of the water got his weapon and actually shot out one of the windows in order to reach the girl and pull her out um this is the first time i've i've seen a lot of these stories uh working as a news editor um where officers rescue um uh, people who are trapped in submerged vehicles this is the first time i have ever heard of an officer uses his handgun to to have to shoot out a window in order to reach someone i and i can't imagine it joe so i'm an experienced scuba diver all right and one of the okay. things we learn is that sound waves travel four times better in water than they do in air. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. If you've ever been on the firing line on range and had somebody fire while you didn't have on your hearing protection, you know just how loud that gunshot is. And then mm -hmm. make it four times that underwater. Um, and then add on all the other considerations. Number one, it, you know, guns aren't made to function underwater. They're made to function in air. So... Technically, you have a blocked barrel. I mean, it's full of water when you pull that trigger. Um, you don't know if that gun's going to function right. You don't know if it's going to mm -hmm. blow up in your hand. Um, you don't know what the bullet's going to do. I mean, it's it's decelerating a lot faster in water than it is right. in the air. I mean, to the to the officer that did this, absolute kudos. Tip tip of the hat. I mean, I wouldn't want to pull the trigger. The barrel would have to be damn near right up against the glass. You have to make sure it's not going to do damage on the other side of the glass. And then you know that once that break, that glass breaks open, the entire body of water is trying to get into that vehicle. Um, and then you've got to get that victim out. Now, the, the article does say um, she was unconscious and not breathing when they got her to land. They did CPR. She was taken to the hospital. She's expected to recover. And and the, the cool part to me, another cool part, because this whole thing is cool to me. <laughs> Um, they used a toe strap to pull the girl to land. So it wasn't an officer just trying to swim and take her to, to the to land. They've got a toe strap, which means looped it around her. They, they've got a whole bunch of people that can pull on it. It's a much faster resolution than just, I'm going to save her life swimming to rescue her. A, a creative thinking all around. I want to know how the officer's hearing is. Right. And all of those considerations, though, uh, because this this is nothing you train for. You're no. you know shooting underwater um, to try to save a, a girl, and and really you're you're faced with if you can't break the that window, you're 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 really kind of out of options because that that girl can't get out, especially you know she's unconscious. So again, yeah, um, yeah, great I think thinking. They had a tow strap. The only other option would have been to put the tow strap on the van and on a vehicle and, and literally pulled the van out and hope that she was still okay inside. Um, don't know if there was, I mean, what we don't know was whether our water already in the van. And you have to assume that the van's already either filled up or filling up. Otherwise it'd be floating. It'd been a huge bubble, right? Right. Um, I can't, I can't imagine that this was, this was fast thinking and, and fast performance at a next level. And you should definitely uh, go to the website and check out the video because there was a body camera and a bystander video of, of the rescue. 
Um, on to our next story. Um, this is out of North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Um, and a great example of the type of keen observation skills officers need to have in any situation. Um, Officer Kayla Wallace um, had made a, a traffic stop. And when she went uh, to talk with the driver and a female driver and a male passenger, um, she had noticed the driver silently mouthed to her, help me. Um, when she caught that silent message, she immediately removed the pass and male passenger from the vehicle and put him into her cruiser and then spoke with the uh, driver uh, through talking with the driver and then getting an alert that came moments after she had made the stop. Um, she found out that the male passenger was a suspect in a uh, shooting earlier. Um, and this ended up, resulting in an arrest um yep. again uh, thinking on your feet of not only being uh, observant to catch that message from the driver but also then to handle the situation in such a way that it doesn't escalate and become even more dangerous with an armed suspect um and and ending up with everyone safe yeah, I'd like to know, and Officer Wallace did a great job. Um, I'd like to know a couple of things. It's just the curiosity questions we'll never know the answers to. Did the driver intentionally run the red light after seeing a patrol vehicle, mm. hoping for the stop and the intervention? Um, did the officer take the, the male passenger out? Um, I, I don't know that I'd have done that. I, I think I because it's it's kind of uncommon in my experience to get the passenger out without getting the driver out, you get the driver out under a whole slew of pretenses. So I'd like, I would, I wish I could, you know, just read officer Wallace's mind and know what she was thinking that she took the male passenger out and what she used as a, a justification or, or an explanation to him for that, that he just went along. I mean, maybe he was just hoping I don't do anything. They don't, you know, I just shot somebody. Hopefully I got to <laughs> stay out of trouble. But I think if I was Officer Wallace, I'd have got the, the driver out and taken her back under some other pretense. Um, and, you know, then yeah. I could have called to her away from the mail. But just, you know, the things we don't know, again, kudos to Officer Wallace. And, and again, and true, and that all taking him out of that uh, vehicle also was um, fortuitous because the the weapon that he had had was under under the seat. So he did, it wasn't on his person. So, uh, you know, the reverse of it, he could have been in the car all by himself with the gun. And if he felt threatened, you know, pulled out and start shooting. So again, a lot of circumstances working in her favor as well, but uh, the, um, again, thinking on, on her feet and, and catching that, that silent message um, you know, that's something you see in movies. Um, yeah. But in this case, it absolutely played out great. We're going to switch topics now and move on to um, an issue that has been plaguing um, police departments and law enforcement agencies for years now, and that is uh, recruitment and retention of officers. Um, starting off, we're going to go to Wichita, Kansas, where uh, the police department there has um, temporarily dropped uh, its aptitude test for recruits. 
um, as an entry exam. Um, this is something they're trying to do uh, in order to help with recruitment and help with officer shortages. Um, however, the uh, Fraternal Order of the Police says uh, that eliminating uh, this is exam is not going to help the department at all. Um, this is something uh, we've been seeing across the country with departments um, kind of work uh, reworking their entry tests uh, in order to create a larger hiring pool because I, I, you know, the department that is flush with officers or not critically short of officers is a rarity now. Um, Frank, wh what's your take on this? So, um, you know, if you read through the article, you see where Wichita um, said that this is the, the removal of the aptitude test was specifically uh, because it didn't adequately assess writing skills. And I can tell you firsthand, uh, a lot of uh, high school graduates today and even college graduates today do not really have great writing skills as we used to know them, quote unquote, back in the day. Uh, grammar is, is not as much of a focus. Correct spelling is not as much of a focus. Uh, you know, people using their, their creative thinking to respell words and reshape sentences. And even they write uh, just like they talk on the street. And what we talk is not, what we say is not necessarily always grammatically correct. So writing can be a big issue. And that's what Wichita says. But when you look at it, anytime you remove a standard or you reduce a standard, you get less capable results that, that re recruits. Um, and that's the, the bottom line. So I'll go to another uh, city I knew of a long time ago in the early 80s. They were having a hard time getting enough recruits, uh, so they lowered their testing standard. You, you, was you had to have an 80% on their test, they lowered it to 70%. They increased, increased their recruiting pool by almost 30%. Fantastic. But then they end up hiring people who have proven themselves less capable in the, in the recruitment process, and then they get on the street, and there's and, and the police department surprised that these less qualified recruits are having more problems performing. There's a direct correlation here. If if you hire, you know, poor recruits, not qualified recruits, you can't make the golden egg out of the rotten one that you hired. You end up mm -hmm. with, with something that kind of just fills a seat and that's going to hurt them. There's there's a liability attached to this that they're not aware of or they're ignoring. I, I appreciate the FOP's outlook on this. Uh, lowering standards, removing aptitude tests, None of that is the answer. How about better pay? How about better benefits? How about some politicians that back their officers uh, rather than playing the political game and pandering to the people who complain about the police? Um, you know, there, there's a part of this article that says uh, they did a, um, a survey and uh, the police at, in Wichita described it as broken, dysfunctional and horrible. That sounds like a morale problem. That doesn't, I mean, if you've got a, that big of a morale problem, you're going to have an even bigger recruiting problem, even if you pay well. Nobody right. wants to work at a bad police department. And if that's already an issue, like you said, uh, bringing in recruits that don't meet the standard that you'd like to uphold is, is not going to help it. Um, 
boy, I guess about a year ago, maybe a little longer, I, um, a story I did about uh, recruitment and retention, uh, talking to chiefs and, and sheriffs across the country. Um, that was the biggest thing they said was as as tempting as it and as much as you might feel like you need to to just fill spots with bodies you have to fight that because you're you're doing a disservice to your community and you're you're going to make more problems for yourself in the long run because of officers who um shouldn't maybe shouldn't be in that position um and you you know you you have to you have to kind of hold yourself to to that standard as well to make sure that um, you're getting the right people for the job. And what you said, they echoed what you said, Frank, which is um, you need to make the pay, the benefits um, commensurate with um, the type of job that you expect them to do. And, and that's the way you're going to, to get better candidates. Yeah. And when you, when you look into this article, it, it goes. It shows that it's a much deeper problem than just one aptitude test and whether or not it's there. Their recruiting is down 80%. Uh, at some of these meetings, when they talk about recruiting and retention and hiring standards and all that, you've got the mayor making statements that could be viewed as negative about the chief. You, you've got a city manager who doesn't even show up, which may be indicative, indicative of problems between uh, the city management and, and the elected politicians. I mean, there, there, are, there are so many things that can be wrong and they all have the possibility of impacting public safety. Uh, and quite honestly, politicians don't care if it gets them reelected. But and oh, and speaking of politicians that moving on to our next story um, and, and this perfectly is done. I, hey, hey, that's why you pay me the big bucks. Um this is out of Boston, and um, the new budget that is going before the mayor, um, new city budget, uh, includes cuts of uh, three, $31 million for the Boston Police Department. Uh, this budget was passed uh, by a seven to five vote. Um, the uh, police department cuts were one of the um, controversial parts of that budget, um, and one uh, – one council member had said uh, this cut of 30 million would be decimating to our Boston police department. Um, and clearly the um, Boston police patrolmen's association, not happy with it. Uh, they said that lawmakers are too busy grandstanding with police biases. Um, following the, the, uh, outcry to defund police uh, after George Floyd, um, the follow through in a lot of communities was was the reverse. You saw many departments um, either staying at the same level of funding or you saw their budgets increase as um, communities uh, found that they violent crime was going up. Um, this is a case, uh, uh, boy, one of um the bigger cities in the country um doing the reverse and, and taking a big bite out of their police force you know and i can't find anywhere in here what it says you know that that this 30 million dollars and it's actually almost close to 31 um what what's that out of i mean if they have a 500 million dollar budget and it's being cut 31 million that's a big chunk 
but it's not the same as if they have a hundred million dollar budget and it's being cut 31 million. That's a third. So I, I can't find anywhere in this article where it talks about it. The city itself has a $4.2 billion budget. Um, and some of the stuff they spend money on, I guess as a police officer and old school, not politically correct, all that, some of this stuff makes sense, no sense to me. So their, their budget includes $8 million allocation specifically to the mayor's office of housing. If that's $8 million for the mayor, they need a new mayor. But it says mayor's office of housing. $9 million to youth, employment, and opportunity. Probably a good spend. $4 million to the office of economic opportunity and inclusion. That's grant money. That's helping minorities start businesses. Some of it's probably very well spent. Some of it's probably political grandstanding. $2 million to arts and culture. Boston's got a lot of history, so I imagine that $2 million is necessary, but that's an add-on. So I wonder $2 million added to what? Two million for parks and recreation, two million to women's advancement. Throw me right out the front door for being misogynistic, but that if if that's not gender specific, I don't know what it's. Two million to women's advancement. Give the police department two million dollars. Tell them they can only hire female recruits with, with it, and that's women's advancement. It's two million dollars. Police department can have back two point two million to the office of human services, and ten million to participatory budgeting. I don't even know what participatory budgeting is, and I've worked on Ways and Means Committees for municipalities. $10 million. Give it to the police department. Right there, we just found $12 million of the $31 million they can have back. This is going to hurt Boston in the end, but I, I suspect it's not how it's going to work out. I suspect, again, right now, that this is political grandstanding, and, and uh, you know, there, there's some horse trading going on in the back rooms up there, and the, the PD will get some of the money back, and some favors will get done between politicians. At least that's what I suspect. And I believe one of the biggest cuts um, within the the police department budget is on overtime, which again speaks to the struggles departments have with, uh, you know, staffing patrols uh, of yep. not having enough officers. Yep. So, um, and again staying with that theme of um recruitment and retention in uh, michigan um the state legislature had passed um what they call a poacher bill and it is um designed for the detroit police department uh what this would do is um it would um it would have recruits who um leave the department um after only a short span, it would have them repay the city for their academy training. And it's broken down um, how much they would have to pay. For instance, if they leave within a year, they would have to pay 100% of that training. Um, within uh, one to two years, it's 75%, and it keeps going down in increments like that. Um you know, I've seen this uh, with uh, uh, bonuses, with um, enticements that um, cities are 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 adding to to get in officers. This is the first time I've actually seen it with, um, as far as a mandated measure, um, with uh, actually the the academy training. Well, so. To me, this is really nothing new. I went through the academy a long time ago, and I went my my very first police department was a campus police department after I got out of the military. 
and I had to sign an agreement with them that said if I didn't stay with them for at least two years after graduation from the academy, I had to pay back a prorated amount. So the academy was six months. If I stayed a year, I had to pay back three months. If I, you know, and so on. Um, so to me, this is nothing new. Uh, but what they don't realize they're doing, and, and here's two things that nobody ever thinks about. Number one, is so they have to stay, an, an officer stays at least four years so they don't have to pay anything back. That means that they leave after four years and they get paid even more at another agency that hires them away because they have four years of experience. They're not a brute rookie out of the academy. That's actually to their benefit. They just they may not realize it. Number two, what happens if the other agencies have money and are hungry enough is as part of their recruitment process, they will pay that cost for the recruit. So here I am, I'm the number one academy graduate. I was first on the range, first on driving, first academically, never failed an inspection. I am the man or I'm the woman. I don't care. You're the number one recruit or the number one graduate. And another city wants to hire you. And they say, you know what? We know you have this obligation. If you come to work for us, we won't give you a sign-on bonus, but we'll pay that for you. So now all this poacher bill has done is move the expense from Detroit to whatever other city decides to hire that recruit away. And there's a lot of other cities that can afford it more than Detroit can. And people hey, don't realize that. But, and, and Joe, I don't want to talk about this much longer. I want it because we have one piece left that we wanted to talk about, and it is really our feel-good piece of the day in my mind. So, uh, yeah, this poacher bill. It's it, to me, it's not uncommon. I don't think it's going to do anybody any good in the long run. And moving on to our final story, um, this is out of uh, Tempe, and um, Officer Candace Cannavale was crowned Miss Arizona, uh, and later this year she will compete for the Miss USA title. Um, first off, congratulations, Candace. Um, this is great. Uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, she's trying to use this as a platform to um, to be a role model for um, teens and, and women and, and kind of uh, bridge her two um, careers, I suppose. Um, and I just think it's it's really great that uh, she's using this platform. I also think, my God, I don't care what you might think of of uh, you know competing in a pageant. That is not an easy side hustle. I'm sorry. That is a huge commitment, um, and to do and to do that with also the huge commitment of being a police officer and in this case a uh, a hostage uh, negotiator with the SWAT unit. Uh, my hat's off to her. Uh, that, that's a that's a great ac accomplishment. Indeed. And the reason I wanted to talk about this article in particular, congratulations to Candace Cannibal. Um, This shows, you know, a lot of people look at police officers and all they see is a police officer. They see a badge, they see a uniform, they see a gun, they see an equipment vest, they see whatever. They see the mean person that's going to do this or going to do that. They don't think about that police officer as a human being beyond if at all very much they don't think about the husband the wife the daughter the brother the sister whatever when you look at the pictures and you have officer cannibal full uniform ready to work the street and she has to continue to work the street and then you have the pictures of her holding the flowers having just been crowned miss temp usa 
And, you know, it's it really does show the human side of law enforcement that no matter what we do, we can't seem to get the community to embrace. We can't seem to get much of our uh, those we serve to really realize how I mean, humanity is not something that's, you know, on the skin. It's it's not just skin, you know, surface uh, shallow. It's it's who we are. It's what we are. We do this job that, that we don't stop being human. Um, we don't stop having dreams. We don't stop having other goals. We don't have we don't stop having enjoyments and hobbies and commitments to families and all that stuff. And this is one of those perfect examples. Well said. Uh, that's it for this episode. As we record this, uh, it's right before Father's Day. And first, you know, happy Father's Day, Frank. Um, and to you, sir. And to you. Thank you. And second, I'd like to shamelessly plug another Officer Magazine podcast, Undercover Dad, uh, which I uh, host with uh, my dad. And we talk about his time as an undercover ATF agent uh in detroit in uh, the 1970s so check it out uh, you can find it on podbean or wherever you listen to your podcasts and uh, we hope you uh, are back again next week take care hey, and Joe, stay safe happy father's day make sure you enjoy time with your your retired atf dad this weekend thank you and you enjoy time with i hope with your children if I, I wish they're all over the place, I don't get to enjoy time with them, but uh, I'm sure I'll talk to them. All right, everybody listening, stay safe. Remember, it's just a job. Go home at the end of your shift and enjoy that family. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Lineup. Please remember the opinions voiced are not those of Officer Media Group or Endeavor Business Media, but only those speaking those opinions themselves. Thank you and stay safe.